This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. The world is currently undergoing one of the biggest experiments in business methodology it has seen in decades. Terms like telework, work from home, mobile work and flexible workplaces have been buzzing around for the last 10 years, fueled by the growth in digital technologies. Today, MSP looks at the work from home revolution or WFH that 2020 has required and wonders where the future of work lies. Matt, you're a bit of an old hand at this WFH game, aren't you? Hey, Jeff, um, I'm a bit of an old hand at everything, uh, I think. Um, You know, I've spent quite a lot of my life working as a a freelancer, uh, as a freelance writer, editor, producer, even event promoter. So a lot of the time I was working from home back when it wasn't a cool thing to do and people would tell you, you know, get a proper job. Um, And that was also back when internet speeds sometimes required that you spent pretty much half your day in internet cafes because the line at home was down or it had slowed down to a point where it was completely unusable. Uh, Plus, you know, I was a bit of an early adopter with cloud services, largely because I had an Apple account that came with uh, CloudSync. And I have to say it was bad. Uh, it had all kinds of glitches that you met. Uh, you ended up with everything duplicated on your computer multiple times to the point that, you know, you'd see an exponential increase of your address book, for example, because those multiple local copies would trigger multiple cloud copies that would then swell your local copies and it would just blossom and balloon out of uh, all proportion. I mean, I actually spent days going back and forwards with Apple's tech service people probably in the pre-iPhone uh, mid-noughties. And eventually they actually gave up. They told me they were sorry, but they had no idea <laughs> how to solve the glitch in their own software. And I just had to, to live with it. And to this day, I still have 10 versions of some people's contact details because I'm not going to waste my time going back and delete thousands of entries. Uh, did that put you off the cloud? Well, yes and no. I mean, if um, if listeners were to go back over my, you know, 10-year-old history on BFM, they'll find plenty of instances where I do actually knock the cloud. But my advice, I guess, is pretty much the same now as it was then. Um, I caution people against relying on cloud services, especially for the simple stuff, you know, it's really important to make sure that you can access uh, key files and programs offline. Don't rely on an internet connection, for example, for basic stuff like your current email or for access to, to basic software requirements like word processing or spreadsheets or presentation stuff. Uh, if you're a video or an audio editor, you know, you want that file where you can see it. Um, things like non-destructive editing, they're really fantastic but not if it's non-destructive because it's in a cloud and you can't get to the file in the cloud. Mm. I can't imagine the current work from home movement is uh, be, you know, being possible without the cloud, though. No, I mean, at least not with the kind of speed that we've come to expect. You know, I could write out uh, a document by hand. I could send it through the post and wait for somebody's handwritten comments and edits. But, you know, who's even got time to go to the post office, let alone the rest of that. Mm. Actually, can you even write by hand anymore? Um, That's actually a really valid question. And, you know, even meeting notes, I take them on my computer and I store them 
where else but of course <laughs> in the cloud um in fact uh, a lot of people at bfm have laughed at my uh, shaky and skeletal attempts at uh, writing on a whiteboard um you know my thoughts are hard enough to decipher without having my handwriting thrown into the mix but but in terms of i think work from home you know it's fine if uh, if things work in the cloud but you should always have a hard copy that sits on your device in case of you know gremlins murphy's law or any of the other kind of catastrophic physical proofs that are designed to prevent you from meeting deadlines because you know, as much as I try to be um, science and evidence-based, technology does always seem to go wrong at precisely the time that you need it the most. You know, there's probably something in chaos theory about it, but, you know, I, I don't dare tempt fate by actually asking anyone. Mm. So you've had years to craft your supposed expertise at work from home. What about the rest of us who had, you know, just kind of like been thrown into it? For sure. I mean, it's something that's pretty much second nature to me now. Um, I've always appreciated flexible workplaces. Uh, back when I was um, looking at my company, Culture Pop, and scaling us up to become a full service agency, um, you know, I had a, a small team of people, but I wanted to keep our working arrangements quite loose. Uh, some of the team complained that our offices were not as nice as maybe some other people's offices were. But that environment literally comes at a cost. A lot of companies spend a lot on their interior design because, you know, they want to impress potential customers and also because they want it to be a comfortable place for staff to spend a lot of their time. And you didn't. You wanted a sweatshop where they could toil in agony. Well, you know, not so much. I mean, I, I operate in a trend and culture-based field, so um, my staff had uh, specific skill sets and interests. So for my business to succeed... I actually wanted my staff to finish their work and get out of the office. Uh, hopefully they understood that my lack of investment in decoration allowed me to, to pay them a little bit better. I like to think that I got better than average productivity and insight from them because they were able to do more than just work for me 24-7 and go home and pass out exhausted every night. So Part of um, Culture Pop's value, I think, was in my staff having that external life. And it wasn't something that was completely altruistic. That investment would get returned to the company and to its clients in terms of increased benefit and expertise. Mm. Do you think that's what we're seeing now? Well, obviously, you know, my model was a very idiosyncratic one. It suited my business and it was something that I was able to control and tweak because it was a relatively small number of people. So I could immediately match requirements for uh, cloud and efficiency solutions and experiment and swap things out without too much additional cost or disruption to, to business. And of course, since I reverted to my old solo consultancy model a few years ago, uh, that's King Jafar again, I'm afraid, um, I really only have myself to take care of. Um, I recommend collaboration tools for clients who want them or want to evolve. But for the most part, I work with their teams and with the systems they already have in place. Mm, which comes back to that flexibility. Exactly. Um, I had a Google Meet before recording this show where King Jafar also made a very loud appearance. <laughs> um, I've got a Zoom meeting after this and I think I've got a Microsoft Teams one tomorrow morning. Uh, I'll probably speak to some friends over FaceTime or WhatsApp video this evening. 
And of course, you know, my notes for this show were done in Apple's Pages app. They were synced to the cloud via Dropbox because that's the, comp- uh, the combination of, uh, of, of apps and software that works best for my own projects. Mm-hmm. That's still quite a privileged position. Most people haven't had 15 years to figure out whether their work-from-home uh, methodology even works or, or even have one. Uh, they were just simply thrown into it three months ago. Which is, you know, where I think we come back to the idea of this being a grand social experiment. You know, we've covered this a little bit on some recent editions of MSP. And the question people are asking right now is, will this continue? And am I going to be working from home forever? So, you know, today we'll look at some of the pluses and the minuses and try and squint through my quantum crystal ball to try and get a picture of that future. Mm. Well, the first question most people want to ask is, how much longer am I going to be working from this cupboard in the hallway? Well, the long and short of that one is decorate the cupboard. Um, I I don't know. Nobody does. You know, it depends on the company you work for, uh, what country and even what area in that country you live and, and work from and what directions your local and national governments are currently giving to you. Uh, As much as I've tried to get all these governments to sign up to my Mattopia app, where they all adhere to my pronouncements via uh, the administration of social nudges and blunt threats, most have actually decided to stick with democracy and self-determination. But I can tell you what some companies have found, and that is that work from home has actually had a net positive effect and that productivity particularly has actually increased. Why? Well, it's a very short question and it has a very, very long answer. Uh, The website Upwork, uh, Upwork, which is a global hub that connects freelancers to potential clients and conducts freelance and remote work surveys every year, uh, also publishes an annual uh, future workforce report. Now, luckily, they started their most recent survey back in November That meant that when the pandemic hit, they were actually able to go back to some of the same firms that they'd already interviewed and check how their work from home experience had altered over those few months. And the findings are actually pretty cool. Uh, 32% of the managers they contacted have said that productivity has increased. And while a lot of companies are currently operating very lean teams, um, you know, taking into account retrenched or furloughed staffed, most companies do expect to actually rehire those workers. So after the break, we'll look into some of the the whys that you mentioned, those productivity gains, what this means for the operating systems and structures of the people who employ us, and whether working from home is actually something that more of us should be doing for the long term. Mm. We'll continue in just a moment. Stick around. You're listening to MSP on BFM 89.9. Be free, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. It is Friday. It is MSP together with Culture Pop's Matt Amatech. Matt, before the break, we were talking about a new survey from the company Upwork, which is one of the very few comprehensive glimpses into the effect of this year's pandemic on the workplace. Yeah, I mean, I should add that we expect to see a lot more research in the near and longer term. Uh, this survey is great because Upwork looks at trends in remote and freelance working every year. And as I said, 
their survey this year dovetailed with the start of the pandemic. So some of the more obvious things they uncovered include gains from uh, commuting, or rather the lack of it. So I put up a post earlier this week alleging that I've spent more on uh, soap powder than petrol over the past three months. Of course, that's you know a small lie, but I'm now filling up my car you know, maybe once a month instead of twice a week. So that's two, two and a half hours of traveling I'm not doing every workday. And that means I'm not turning up at work tired and frustrated by traffic and other drivers' stupidity. And I'm also not tiring other drivers out with my own stupidity. <laughs> uh, Upwork's next couple of findings might be a bit more debatable though, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the things they mention uh, are the gains from not being pulled into so many unproductive meetings. So my own research is a little more anecdotal. Uh, certainly at the start of the work from home wave in March or April, people seem to be getting pulled into more meetings, probably because uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies were learning how to actually operate with offsite teams. They were figuring out the ways to collaborate. Uh, in my own experience, I'm seeing a lot of meetings still but the number of people in those meetings is actually decreasing. So we're seeing uh, more and smaller groups. And we seem to have developed some kind of um, video and microphone etiquette. So people are giving uh, a little more ground to each other rather than talking and rolling over each other all mm. the time. They're less freaked out by the weird pauses. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few of those mic drop moments where... I've said something or I've finished commenting and there's just silence and the pause seems to go on forever. It's just the most awful experience. You die a little bit. You think, you know, did my connection fail? Do I have to repeat all of that all over again to everyone or is what I've said just so awful that it's left everybody <laughs> speechless? Well, I'm guessing it's the second one. Yep, you get the prize. Um, speechless for the wrong reasons, uh, as usual. But that brings us to the, the, the next point, uh, that people, uh, or at least Upwork thinks, that uh, people have fewer distractions at home than um, in the office. So, I mean, I'll ask you, I mean, mm. what's your experience been on the weeks that you work from home? Are you more distracted or less distracted? Um, I would say less distracted, but I'm occupied all the time. So I don't have a balance. So there's no nine to five for me. Um, and that for me is the biggest issue. But in terms of distraction, I've got my own little personal space that I can go into my room, close my door. And if I, you know, it's basically like a rule now. I tell my mom that if my door is closed, it means that I'm pretty busy. So she just understands my own space, you know, lowers down the TV volume, puts the phone on vibrate. And when I'm not busy i leave the door open so that you know we can still have some sort of communication across the whole, across the room okay well and uh, obviously your mum is uh, a lot better behaved than oh, my yeah. cat uh, <laughs> who won't let me work but yeah no I, I i do get it and you know like you said it it, it does take a while to adjust mm. to working from home you have to build up that sense of routine you have to build up um those systems, like you said, you you know, you come to an arrangement with your mum. Uh, you have to get that sense of um, self-discipline because, you know, nobody's looking over your shoulder unless, you know, you work for one of those inhuman places that puts you on a webcam and actually monitors your, your keystrokes. But for a lot of people, I think there's still that temptation to, to watch another episode of BoJack Horseman. And just for me, 
even after having done this for years and years and years, I have to be very careful what I stock my fridge with. Mm. Is inactivity a problem? I mean, it's always been a problem for me, but um, <laughs> I think it's uh, probably too early to tell whether people are more or less active when they're working from home. Uh, I'm guessing that it might be more active because, you know, they're not doing that commuting. They might have more time to exercise. But what we do find, I think, is that work from home isn't ideal for everyone. Uh, a lot of people miss out on that simple social aspect. Things like having lunch with um, friends and colleagues. And of course, there's that collaboration aspect. Uh, it feels a lot harder to bounce ideas off each other over Zoom or a text chat, especially if you're used to teams that have been, you know, very, very close, very tight knit until recently. And it's certainly a, new, uh, a problem, I think, with, uh, with new hires. I mean, I've been working with a team that recently brought in a new senior manager. And that person has only met some of the team in person once because everyone's working from home, everyone's on different rotations. So it makes it hard to forge those relationships that go beyond the simply professional. You know, those things like chatting in the break room, uh, having a coffee, going out for lunch together. All of those little relationships that help to make work a little bit easier uh, a little bit faster and kind of reduce the friction in your um, in your kind of daily work life. Mm, you know, the photocopy uh, chit chat that, you know, we would normally have. Uh, and also like it's a little bit of growing, uh, you know, learning a few things. So just catching up. I, I, I do miss that. And and that's actually, uh, you know, without including the tech and domestic considerations. Yeah. You know, one of the um, things that I've been shopping for recently is a webcam that has switchable angles so that I can control what people on the other end see. So where I've got my phone right now, Jeff is looking pretty much up my nose as we're <laughs> recording this. Um, but And I have the advantage, you know, of being permanently set up for homeworking. You know, I have an office upstairs. I've got a second big screen downstairs that lets me work from the dining table when King Jafar decides he wants to sleep in the garden and uh, not cry over my recordings. Um, Actually, you can check my Instagram account at CultureMat if you want to see a photo <laughs> of him perching in a Tudung Saji uh, like Quay. And I think that may be the largest number of Malay words I've ever heard you say in a sentence. I know, and people call me thick. Um, yes, yeah, so it's very hard to convince um, family members, as you mentioned, that you are actually working. You've got your closed door rule. Uh, but some experts expect that some of these difficulties may shake out in the long run. For example, a lot of people at the moment are struggling to um, look after kids as well because the kids are learning online and they're trying to do their work as well. So that pressure may lessen a little bit as schools start to reopen over coming weeks and months. Mm. So you think that the requirements to work from home may actually last longer than, say, reopening economies? Well, as I said, and as I think I think think they mentioned in the Upwork report, uh, some or even many companies may actually find the work from home model preferable. If your employees are more productive working from home, why would you bring them back to the office full time? Uh, sure, you know, we're all experiencing a lot of technology gap type hitches right now. But that's largely because a lot of companies were only a very small way along that remote working curve. So they've had to radically alter the way that they store information, for example, to make it accessible and secure for people working off-site. And they've had to implement all sorts of virtual and collaborative systems 
that may not have existed in those organisations before. So that means a lot of new reporting and monitoring practices. Mm. Build an online presence. Well, yes, you know, um, although we're more concerned with the employee aspects today than building the the online presence for that, that kind of revenue component. But again, the technology gap should close over time as companies consolidate and move from experimental to tried and trusted remote working strategies. Mm. That still doesn't explain why the employees won't come back to work. Well, I think there are quite a few factors at play there. Um, first and foremost is the business operation argument. So the coronavirus pandemic has cost companies billions of dollars in lost revenue because they simply haven't been able to operate. So we've mentioned on previous shows, we're very likely to see increased and more rapid automation of production facilities and logistics chains. In the um, parts of a company's business that remain human dependent, like sales and marketing or R&D, they're not going to let themselves get caught like this again. Mm. So it's a profit decision. I think it's more of a business continuity decision because, uh, you know, there is this human aspect. Not every country protects its workers equally. Uh, there are a lot of countries where workers have been furloughed. So if you're furloughed, essentially the company keeps you as an employee on the books. You're still employed, but you're not receiving uh, a wage and you're not working for the majority of cases. And that can make it hard to claim unemployment insurance, uh, for, for one thing, because the company doesn't want to retrench you. They would have to pay severance packages. And of course, they want those workers back, those trained workers back when things improve. The workers don't want to resign from the company because there are often penalties built into those unemployment insurance systems that prevent them from claiming if their unemployment is voluntary, for example, if they resign. Mm -hmm. So I would say this goes quite a long way beyond being a simple profit cost decision. Mm. Protecting their operation protects the income of the people that work for them. Well, yeah, you can argue that for big companies and the kind of level of profits they make, supporting workers for a few months is practically irrelevant. You know, it's just a, a couple of CEO bonuses. But the truth is that most of us work for small and medium-sized businesses that don't have Fortune 500 pockets. And those companies often have a much more personal relationship with the people they employ, uh, the families that those employees support, and of course, the communities that those companies are embedded in. So remote working, I think, is going to be critical for future planning for those kind of small and medium-sized businesses in order to keep operating from mm. now on. What about the physical costs? Well, this is where it gets interesting. You know, this is something we have mentioned on previous shows. Companies can use this to reduce their overheads. Uh, they can uh, rent or build smaller office and operating facilities. And obviously that then reduces the bills that go along with them. Hopefully they then pass on some of those reductions to their staff in the form of allowances for office furniture, internet costs, electricity and things like that. But it also gives them a lot more flexibility in the people that they hire to do those jobs. Mm, in what sense? Well, currently, most companies tend to hire people who are either in proximity to their premises or locations or are willing to relocate. When you look at our cities, they're largely configured around 
that particular need. So we see central business districts surrounded by industrial belts and suburbs. Um, we see places where there are a lot of noisy cats in the background. <laughs> and in the long term, we may be able to, to break that model of urban dependence. If we're all meeting on Zoom, it doesn't matter if I'm in KL, a colleague is in Jakarta, and somebody else is in the US, as long as we can make the time zones work. Mm. But let's take the US as an example. Mm, any reason? Well, it's a, a huge country that has uh, developed some very easily identifiable inequalities. So when you look at development over the last sort of 20 or 30 years, cities like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco... They've attracted outsized lumps of that kind of capital and development. Now, it's not a uniform trend. So cities like Houston and Seattle have also experienced massive growth. But as this capital has flocked to the east and west coasts, it's also flown from the more central locations due to deindustrialization, automation in traditional industries like mining and steelworking, and you know, just the general decline of a, a lot of our kind of capital uh, or rather labor-intensive 20th century industries. So we see a lot of human capital moving towards those coastal economic centers. Hmm. And as those cities expand, uh, you know, rent and other living costs rise. Well, yeah, you know, we've all heard the uh, stories of people with full-time jobs living in their cars in Silicon Valley because rents are so high. So if larger percentages of your workforce are remote, then people don't need to flock to those centers. You can live in Detroit or Boise and telecommute with companies that are thousands of miles away or are largely virtual. Uh, then your wages go into your local economy. They provide economic opportunities for other businesses or entrepreneurs in those dispersed locations. And it also allows companies to employ foreign talent without the need for really expensive visas and a lot of relocation costs. Mm. What about the structure of our current cities? Well, you know, a lot of us go to a gym near where we work, but how much easier is it to go to a gym or a park near where we actually live or to have that life without commuting and pouring ourselves into these central business districts? So if that starts to happen, I think we'll see a real change in the construction of or, or design rather of cities and big towns. Uh, CBDs may shrink in size and scale and businesses that currently serve other businesses, whether they're restaurants for people to have lunch at uh, or malls to, to, to service them or even courier services, we'll see those again stop being concentrated in these kind of central locations. A white-collar deindustrialization. It's far too early to tell or even estimate the extent to which that might be the case. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting scenario. And King Jafar thinks it's very <laughs> likely to happen. Um, many of our cities are ringed by so-called brown sites, which are you know relics from earlier industrial periods in our history. So perhaps the same thing will happen to our city centres and our central business districts. We'll see more residential redevelopment and hopefully we'll see falling living costs that go along with that. Uh, and that may help us to create sort of cleaner, more livable towns and cities in the process. I mean, we've got a long way to go, but it could turn out that this whole trend for working from home 
is actually something of a secret superpower. Mm. And King Jafar seems to love uh, working from home anyways. Uh, he loves me working from home and making a lot of noise is his not-so-secret superpower. <laughs> if you missed any parts of this conversation, you can download MSP's episode for today and also previous MSC's, uh, MSP's episode uh, on the BFM website or the BFM app. Uh, coming up is Geek Squawks after this, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.